<clears throat> you, what's going on? How y'all doing? Welcome, welcome, welcome. Another episode, man. Checkpoint six podcast by Anchor. Today, I'm going to be talking to my buddy here, uh, another bandit, and he's going to give his little spill on how his military experience and military life went. And also, he's going to give us some insight on after he got out, what he had to do to get his VA benefits, and if he does get his VA benefits. So, welcome to another segment. Uh, I'll let my guest introduce himself, and he can start it off right here. Hey, what's up? Go ahead, brother. You good. You got it. All right. My name is Hugh Shaw. I was an Alpha Company 137 with Armored Bandits. Uh, start from the beginning. I was first time in Germany, Freiburg. Okay. What year? What year? What year you was over there? Tell, uh, tell them the year. 2001. To 2001. 2005, I think. To 2002. 2005. Yeah. Long time ago. Okay. And 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 at that time we was uh, training, 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 because that's all the bandits do, right? Yeah, I think the unit was just getting back from K-4 when I showed up. Right. First Sergeant Abel was looking for me. <laughs> so, uh, you joined the military, and your MOS at that time was... 19 kilo. 19 kilo, which is a tanker, armor, right? Yeah, armor tanker, tank. armored tank crewman. Okay, cool. You got a cool job. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, 137 is an armored unit, so for you, that's home. That is home. That right. is home. For four years it was. Three years it was. Yeah, that's home, you know. And um, we had an opportunity, that unit, to go downrange and do some great things for the country and uh, represent well. That's right. Sergeant Major Kennedy told me, he said, we're here to create a home for these people. You know, they've suffered a lot, and we're here to create democracy. You right. Know, and that was, I think that was the embattlement of who we were as a unit. We had to do some things, but, you know, most of the time it was a reconstruction of the cities. Okay, okay. So now, um, <clears throat> explain to me, or let's say explain to our listeners the everyday process of a tank crewman in the desert. Oh man. Clean, clean, clean. Sand everywhere. <laughs> Hundred degrees before daybreak. Oof. And we're talking about before what? Six, seven o'clock? The sun is already oh, up. Yeah. Venus? It's five sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Get off that plane in Kuwait, and they're like, man, that jet prop blast is hot. And then you realize the motor's in front, behind you, and you're like, oh, no. <laughs> right? So, um, like, as soldiers, we have missions. And when we get missions, 
most of the time, because we are of a lower rank, we just have no choice but to follow the orders that come down. You know, that's our job, right? That is. Never so, know what's going on. Just so, follow the leader. Doesn't even doesn't even matter how crazy it sounds. Yeah. Like, um, you guys did IED sweeps. Every day. What, what Four is hours a, during the day. What is an IED sweep? And, and, and I'll be honest with you. The first time we got left the Olympic Stadium, heard right. over the intercom. By the way, watch out for IEDs. I'm thinking radio. The fuck is an IED? And for a minute, it was like, and then we started learning about it. It was like, oh, shit. So, you know, and so again, this is something very new to you. So, yeah, very new. We were never trained, never, you know, it was just what would be, you know. Okay. So, you're saying you was never trained to I maneuver think, around an IED or... Whatever it would be. Yeah, I think it was based on prior missions of that unit or of previous units. They write the doctrine based on that. So when you enter a new battlefield that's never really been fought like it was, you know, you had tanks and alleyways. You know, that's, you know, you. I don't know if you should be doing that or not. That's right. kind of sketchy, you know. <laughs> we had the infantry with us, so, you know, they watched our backs as we watched theirs, you know. But, right. You know, it was just... You learned as you went, you know. Right. Like most people had to, you know. So, you were there for how long? Uh, three years uh, with the bandits, and I served another year with an aviation unit. Okay, so um, when you went down to the desert with the bandits, how long was y'all uh, deployment? I, it was, uh, first we knew we were going in. It was a one-year deployment, and then, you know, sometimes time during the 10th or 11th month. I don't know how long close it was, but I remember we had steak that day. And then that's when we found out you're getting extended for six months. We are like, fuck. <laughs> I remember so watching that in the movie. Well, they fed us well and up. stuck us hard, you know. We're like, all right, so. Oh, man. The extra pay was nice, you know, but. Yeah, extra pay was nice, but. Wasn't worth it, I promise you. So. So see, um, and I want to because what's going on is you're you're setting the tone right now for this podcast right here, right? So I want to ask you the right questions. Like, what would you say was the craziest month that you was there? April fifth. April fifth. I remember that day. Yeah. Big fog. Two thousand four, I think. Two thousand four. April fifth. Big farm. Well, Tell us about that, man. Like, like go into detail. I was just getting back for mid-tour leave. My name got pulled, and I got to go home for two weeks. We left our unit, Bandit Island, in Humvees. They picked us up in Bradley's. And I was thinking, hmm, welcome to the shit show. I think Sergeant Burnett said, welcome to the party. Glad you're late. <laughs> okay. So I think we had to go to Carbala then. We, uh, yes, that's what that's when we got extended. We had to go down there because it was a situation in Carbala that was very crazy. But and, yeah, you go ahead. Tell us about this farm. 
it felt like a dream, like it wasn't real. Mm. You know, the the scope of it, you know, the heat, the smell, the chaos, just all around. I think we were there for what, two weeks. Mm. And I was part of headquarters, Platoon Alpha Company, and manned the radios and did a lot of sweeps. And I think we engaged on one corner for a few hours. Right. Yeah, so. Up in the loader's hatch, guy around the corner, probably less than 20 yards from me, just blink of an eye, RPG went right over my head. I fell back in the turret and I pinned my spine on the 50 cal loader uh, box ammo rack. And I couldn't move for probably five or ten minutes just everything just went numb I was like what happened you know and I finally stood back up and I think uh, our captain was uh, my tank commander and he handed me his M4 he said reload this and he reloaded he engaged on the other side around the school bus hmm. after that it was just a big blur I mean almost lights out. I'll tell you, man. None of our uh, encounters was easy encounters. Um, it's out of nowhere. Yeah. And and they're always fast. It's fast and, and it's swift. And if you're not on your P's and Q's, and if I think... A whole lot of training helped out. Some guys reacted fast, some guys reacted slow. You know, but I think we all, man, did a great job overall. And I mean, my only concern is what's going on with us now that we're out. But I'm cutting your story off. I need to hear about so so what happened? Like did y'all lose anybody that day? Uh you could tell us about when you lost someone, how you felt, you know, I mean I think don't be afraid to tell us I think what hit the worst is Spakowski. You're the second person to mention this. But we could talk about it. Talk about it. I think the last thing he ever said to me was, Dan Lowe's, you rocked that 240. We were some kid or somebody started shooting an AK at us, and I was just, I just swung around, and everybody was up against the fence. They were destroying a Haji card. And then it was they were putting IEDs in them overnight, and they just detonate them during the day and just fuck anybody around, right? But so we had the mission to go out and destroy them all during the night. I think that was the last one, and some dickhead just pop, pop, pop. And I think I put about sixty rounds from the spread from one side to the fence to the other, just because it just came from that direction and it wasn't taking chances. And I think the, at the time, first arm of Sidus was our first arm at the time, and. 
he was had that big ass stick. I loved that stick, and uh, he uh, was kind of standing, kneeling. I told him, "Get down top." And he's like, "What? Get down top?" And the third time, "Get the fuck down," you know, because he was in the line of fire, and I didn't want to. Right. You know, that's where I stopped. You know, and and everybody else was just right above him. You know, and and. Uh, I didn't get in trouble, I guess, but it scared the fuck out of me, you know, because what could have happened, you know. Right. Training, you know, took over, but. Uh, so you want to elaborate? We were in Carbala, and he uh, was hit by a sniper. He was in the back of a 113, and he was told not to leave, and. I don't think he heard it. He was he was he was on a mission. He knew what he was doing. He's a smart dude. Very smart, very intelligent. Kabbalah, the warfare was different because they actually had snipers out there. Trained snipers. They weren't just running the middle dudes with rifles. They were, they were on point. Uh, yeah. Because I was grounded when we got to Karbala. Because we couldn't go out anymore. The trucks we had wasn't equipped to go out on the streets of Carbala. No, it was sandbags. <coughs> you know? Those vests we got when we first got there, those were fun, yeah? <laughs> you know, I mean, the vests we had when we first got there was what? The World War Two. Vietnam, I think. Yeah, some, some, type of, some type of war like that. Where... Fucking AK, an AK would have switched cheesed you if they would have fucking yeah, hit you. Yeah, you with realize that. you're like, this isn't, you know, you're seeing all these other units with that new body armor, like, you know, you know, and uh, because I don't think folks really knew what we had, what we was doing what we was going through because now when we got there we had our regular Hummers we didn't have doors on our Hummers tops nothing row with the feet out the doors because it's like you said we didn't know shit we was learning as we went right and that's why I said it's good that the bandits taught teamwork at least because that's what kept most of us alive was that teamwork. And the fact that NCOs took their jobs very seriously. They did. They most certainly did. You see what I'm saying? So, so leadership was very much on point. Some of it was drastic. Some of it was extreme, even. 
But guess what? Might have been even unnecessary, but in the end, it teaches you. And and it worked. Yeah. Right? It's how it, I don't know how it worked. It did. Right. You know? So now... You had various leadership. You had the father type, and then you had exactly. that, you know, do it now. And, you know, it created, a, a I think, a, a kind of an even environment, so to speak. You right. know, with, you knew who you can go to, you know, for advice or whatever. And then you knew who, if you did wrong, you know, you're going to pay the piper one way or right. another. <laughs> so... One thing I wanted to ask, like, you tankers, man, y'all some hardcore dudes. The shit that y'all did. Well, it's 140 degrees outside. It's 20 more in the tanks, and that's where you sleep. Did y'all have AC in that thing? Because I don't know, man. I'm not a tanker, so I I, I want to know. <coughs> Do you have AC? We had a We had a heater. A heater. A heater. No AC. No AC. It's a hundred and something degrees outside. So you got the eggs on the front slope. I mean. Wow. Just, it was hot. Like, unbelievably hot. And then y'all got them jumpsuits, man. I used to see guys in them them, them jumpsuits y'all had. Cause y'all didn't have regular BDUs. Y'all had like a, like a. It was a, like a flight. Like an overall type. Yeah, it was it was to prevent static electricity. Right. You know, the the rounds that we fired, you know, the Sabo round, heat round, impact round, they were all fired with electricity instead of a traditional firing pin. So, mm. you know, there's two ways to fire the main gun. You've got the Cadillacs, laser blaze, and then you've got the master blaster on the side. It's just like a little wind up thing that creates generates electricity and. Okay. And, so those were some special made suits to. Yeah, it keeps down static. <coughs> you couldn't wear any uh, like cotton or anything like that. You know, one spark, you know, you're bye bye you. Oh. You know, and yeah, don't want that. Of course, one round, you know, that's a hot gun anyway. So yeah. standard operating, you know, is twenty minutes wait, and then you pull it out. Sometimes you didn't have that long. So you ended up pulling it out, AFCAP come out, and then you got a bunch of pellets just pour out into the floor, and you just, like, throw sandbags on it and shit, work your magic, and hopefully it works, you know. <laughs> shit. Engineers had to take C4 to one tube because they couldn't get the round out. So that was, yeah. Wow. That was interesting. You know, we saw a lot of cool stuff, you know. The, uh, what is that track vehicle that fires that? It's like a mind clearing you know and they fired that over my tank one time and I got to see that firsthand what it looked like and I was like oh holy yeah, shit you know yeah. I'm like yeah you know so <coughs> first time I heard a tank fire man that was adrenaline right ooh, it's man that adrenaline. was awesome yeah cause I mean it has to be something that wants to pull you in to be like hey I gotta do this this is what I wanna do Conquering you know what fear, I'm saying? Yeah. Exactly. So with that tank, it also felt like a safety net at the it's same time. One of the safest. Like I got vehicles, a, yeah. I got a big, almost indestructible man, like seventy ton vehicle. You exactly. know exactly. What are you gonna do to me? You know, and I believe, I believe that's the mentality we rolled into Iraq with the mentality of, dude, I got a tank. 
I'm damn near indestructible. We were. These people are primitive. They yeah. can't hurt us. Yeah. Right? 22 will change that real quick. You see what you I'm know, saying? That was, you know, I've read the, the book, Sun Chu Art of War, and it you know, says never underestimate your enemy. Right. You know, and that's something that, you know, that kind of haunts you sometimes, you know, because they're clever, you know, and we had to work around that, you know. Yeah, because learn as you go. When 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 I was there and I was with you guys, and I could be honest with you, um, me as a cook rolling with tankers, I felt safe because y'all had them big ass things alongside, and I was like, shit, ain't nothing gonna touch that shit, nothing. They feared the skull. We heard reports, until, about, yeah, you know, saying they don't mess with it really until until. That one day I heard uh, that they had put a um, ID up under a manhole cover, and blew a tank, blew it under the tank, and split that fucker in half. That's when I was like, "Holy fucking shit!" You see, reality has to set in at some point in time, and over there, back to reality. Over there, whether you remember it or not. One day, you was on a mission, and fucking reality punched you in the face. <laughs> and you was like, oh, shit, I'm yeah. here for real. It happens sooner no for others. You know, I know a lot of, you know, everyone says, what are you going to do the first time you're in contact? Like, really in contact, you know, not hearing it from a distance or it's up close, but I'm like, really, you're hearing the snaps. What's your reaction? You know, and... and no matter what you say, what you do is what you do. You know, you can't control it. It's just instinct, complete instinct, you know. And But after a while, you know, it's just like there's a point in time, I think, that I'm not going to survive this. My likelihood of surviving this just <coughs> dramatically, you know. And it's just that's when you can function. That's when everything becomes fluid. That's when everything becomes normal. So was there ever a time where you actually gave yourself a time frame to say, well, yo, in about five minutes, we're fucking done? When they brought a dump truck in full of landmines, we were doing a weapons buyback program after Carbala. We secured Carbala, and then we had a weapons buyback a few days later. And... This dump truck pulled up. Holy Jesus, it was stacked to the top. Landmines. Hand grenades, RPGs. Just, he left a rich man. Wow. But that was the first thing I thought of. I'm like, we're in a little square, and this thing's going to be level in about three seconds. Yeah. That was... (laughs) Yeah. You don't ever want to look death in the face. It's nasty. You know, because now we're 15, 20 years out. Right. And that affects, you know, what you go through. And So, let's fast forward a little bit because, you know, 30-minute thing here. Uh, What about when you got out? You got out with an honorable, right? It was under honorable conditions. I was offered a medical discharge. Okay. Um, after leaving Walter Reed. Um, Why were you in Walter Reed? I was having 
issues with uh, drinking, nightmares, and stuff like that, and I couldn't function. So, I changed my MOS to be a 15 Delta, which is a powertrain mechanic on aircraft, and I was going through training, and um, <clears throat> that was, you know, they had offered me a medical, and uh, command, you know, they were like, no, we're not going to do that, and um, so they ended up, they were going to give me a, a dishonorable or bad conduct, I can't remember, but the battalion commander said because of my service, you know, and all my awards that I'd gotten and everything, you know, it's like, we're not going to do this to them. So they gave me under honorable conditions. Um, but it wasn't until 2009 that I'd gotten involved with the VA. And uh, they, but before that, um, I went to truck driving school and, right. you know, was a truck driver. The guy I'd met knew some people at the Army Aniston Depot. Now, what I didn't know is that's where every single tank goes in the military to be re, re, uh, reset. Mm -hmm. They strip everything down, repaint it, and send it back to the units. <clears throat> I can't remember the bumper number, but it was one of our tanks. And it had the hole of the size of a trash can in the side of it. Wow. That was when they went back the second time. Damn. And you had gotten out already. And you're working at this place and you seen that tank. Well, I was a truck driver. I only delivered there once every three months. Right. But because I was with the owner of the truck, he had access to most of the property. Mm -hmm. um, so they gave me a tour since I was a tanker. They said, hey, come check out these tanks. And I saw a bandit tank sitting on the railhead. And I was like, holy shit, that's one of our tanks, you know? And I was... You know, back then, they didn't have the cell phones they have now, and I took pictures of it, but then I was, like, walked around to the side, and I was like, fuck. Very sobering, you know, because it's one thing to experience it, but to see it as a civilian in the aftermath and being intimately, you right. know, knowledgeable of that, it's very sobering. Because then you develop what the doctors say survivor's guilt and all this other stuff, you know, because it's like, why not? Why didn't I, you know, not because you wanted the honors, because you just felt like you didn't do your job. Yeah. You know, a lot more guys probably saw more combat than I did, you know, and, and I can't imagine what they're going through. You know, have they swallowed it or they you know, hide it well. So, when you left the bandits, what was your, what was some of your rewards you got for your, your service? I got a, it? I think two, three ARCOM, AMs, um, just, one of the NCOs came by and said, hey, what'd you do here? And I just, you know, I didn't really know what to say. Like, I felt like I didn't really do anything, you know. <laughs> Saw a lot of shit, but, you know, I just didn't feel like, but, 
So, so you say you went to the VA in like 2009? Yeah, I lost my job and <clears throat> um, due to the recession and I uh, went to the, they told me to just go to the VA and see, you know, what kind of things they had. And I was just looking for work, you know. Right. And then they asked for my medical records. So when I gave it to them, they're like, okay. Um, so that's when they gave me disability. And I didn't even know I was disabled. Okay, you know. Right. So, um, tried to go to school a few times. It didn't work out. So it's like <clears throat> they took a look at your 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 medical records from yeah. the military, and right then and there, they was like, "Man, you need to be on disability." Yeah, I went to a few doctors, and you know they had to go to a few of those, and then uh, that was so. When what they, was your uh, diagnosis? Uh, PTSD and something else with my back like mm. low or something um every once in a while I have to go to like a CMP like uh, I can't remember what it's called um basically they just verify everything and then they send you on your way so you gotta verify like you're taking the pills they're prescribing um it's not really mandated I don't unless you're mandated Right. Um, I wouldn't know what the circumstance would be on that, uh, but it's not mandated that I take any medication unless I request it. Okay. I tried various medications, um, propriarin, and that kind of stuff, you know. And uh, Ativan seemed to work kind of okay, but then just it just plateaued, and it was like didn't work anymore, you know. So I just quit taking it and. Um, just try to function, really. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I get that. So, you know, I mean, <clears throat> a lot of vets out here are getting um, help from the VA. Most of the help comes in uh, pill form, right? And uh, the compensation or whatnot <coughs> to me doesn't match up. Like, for instance, I got a scenario where I know a guy that's battling stage four cancer, right? So he's on his deathbed, but he has an 80% rating at the VA. 80. 80. The VA <laughs> gives you a second chance to die for your country. <laughs> he said it's the VA. <laughs> and he's like, that's just normal. That's how they do things. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I have a broken tooth. I can't go. You know, yeah. I tried, but it's you know the process. You have to take a COVID test and quarantine and yeah, drive well, drive a hundred miles and. I, I think now it'll be more challenging, too, with COVID. That makes it extra. But normally, even right now, like to get somebody on the phone, 
actually talk to somebody. They have a $7 million building donated to the Veterans Affairs. They're closed. See, that's what I'm saying. So now think about... The guy that's sitting there with an issue and he needs to talk to somebody right now, but he can't due to the fact that they're closed or COVID's out. So mental health is not an issue anymore right now. Yeah. When mental health should be at the front of everything the military does. Yeah, you're right. We should be able to go see who we need to, because if not, it's happened. I mean, we got to think about it, right? Uh, You gave up your natural life to serve the country. Your natural life. You gave it up. Why, why, why did you give up your natural life? I mean, nothing's natural to you anymore. You've experienced all of your senses to the max of what your senses could be. Hearing was to the max. You was listening to everything. Sight was to the max. You was looking for everything. Touch, taste, all of that to the max. Because you was in a place that you wasn't regularly in. You wasn't comfortable. So to make yourself comfortable, you had to heighten your senses to the point where it made you safe. And the people around you helped made you safe. You see? And then the fact that you had someone or something to come home to helped you even further. Yeah, family support's real good. You know, if you had it, a lot of people don't. Yeah. And a lot of people had the Jody. You had the bad guy that was back there. With your wife while you was downrange. That happened a lot. <laughs> That's an understatement in 137. <laughs> right? Yeah. But this is not just 137 we're talking about. Because when we talk about these things and we, we, we really sit here and talk on these podcasts and, and we get on TV or whatever... I actually want everybody to be real with themselves. Be real with who they are. Be real with what happens. You understand? Because when I came, when we came back from Iraq, man, listen. The shit I was hearing in housing, I was like, get the fuck out of here. That happened? They know the MP that threw somebody over a balcony, like three floors. That building was right across from me. I had 
<laughs> I had just turned. I'm like, holy shit. Are you I just me? turned and seen the body hit the floor. And I was like, what the fuck? So. I get it. I get it. But what I don't get is. We all come home and we all put on an act at first. It's all an act. Because at the end of the day, when the real us come out, and that's the ones who Don't want to hide the bullshit no more. Just want to deal with it now. And get it over with. Yeah, I think I'm at that point. Because it's... Because it's... It anchors you down. It ties you back and it just... It rots you from the inside and there's no reason to just... Hold on to a memory that doesn't no longer physically affect you, but mentally. And... You know, there's a lot of triggers that carry out in the day, you know, that everyone experiences, whether it be, you know, seeing something or smelling it or hearing it, you know, it's just, it has that effect and then it puts you back where you were when you had all those heightened senses. And this is what I'm saying. So now, what I'm saying to you and what I'm saying to the viewers, the listeners, whoever it is, what I'm saying is this, military folks... I'm gonna I'm gonna say this everybody and it's uh whether you're Navy, Army, Marine, Air Force, Coast Guard, President Eleven, whoever you have a Pandora's box. You don't wanna open it. No. You see what I'm saying? A lot of us have that box and don't wanna open it. Because we're scared of what the fuck is inside of that box. And that is what kills most of us. Especially when you hear those 22 a day, supposedly. Because they opened Pandora's box and was fucking scared to death. And had to deal with it right then and there. Scary. Oh, <laughs> scary ain't the word, dude. Yeah, you understand? Why you think most of us? Why you think most of us uh, end up on these high ass drugs? When we start off with a little bit of opioids that we get for medication that's supposed to help us, because these guys think, okay, this is the way. Right. That opens the first door. Because most of these pills or whatever that is have side effects that say, hey, suicidal thoughts. Suicidal thoughts is the number one side effect on damn near every medication we get. So. If that's the case. 
all we're thinking about is that mission. That one mission we went on that impacted us the most. I know people went on missions that it was several. And you're like, man, there's so many missions. This impacted me this way, that, that, that. No, it's one mission that impacted you the most. That spun you out of fucking control the most. I have one. And it was when Tim died. Because I looked at it like it was a fucking worthless ass mission. It was just a sheet of fucking paper. Yeah. I wish mine was just, a mission. But that's mine was my thought. It was an accident. A simple fucking accident. Talk to me. No. You got to talk it out, brother. That's the way you get That's rid of it. That's my Pandora's box. See? But you have to deal with that box. Do we all do. You understand? We all do. Some of us Some of us went to the higher roads. Some of us started dealing with crack, coke, heroin, meth, whatever it is. Because that takes us away from fucking reality. That alters the state of mind to where I don't even want to be here. Because we look for that. Because we don't want to be there. When that box opens, we don't want to be there. So those drugs say, hey, I'm fucking gone. But you're not. You're actually just sitting there. Getting deeper into the fucking box. Until the box consumes you. And then you become one of the 22. We lost a lot of dudes, man. <clears throat> I lost one my guy. cousin on the 4th of July. Sorry <laughs> to hear that. One guy we lost. I'm not going to mention his name. But you know him well. We all went to his funeral. We even got the video. On the day he died. Because of them hard drugs. Because of trying to escape that reality. 
not saying that we didn't try to help him, but us here at Checkpoint 6, the ones who are here, resources are limited. The way we wanted to help him and the things we had to do to help him, we couldn't because it's really illegal in the government's eyes. So we couldn't do enough to help him. But if everybody else who has these problems speak up, that's how we can get the government to help Checkpoint 6, to help the government help veterans get their shit together, especially this shit, which is the mind. Because we need our minds. Mental health is plaguing veterans. Ain't nothing else plaguing us, brother. Yeah. We don't fear shit else. A lot of the times we don't know what programs are out there. We have to find it for ourselves through word of mouth or, you know, it. we have advocates, but we're being advocated. Listen, man. We went and we fought a physical war, fought a hard physical war, and came home, and now we're fighting a hard mental war. The mental war is winning. When we was in, we had alert rosters, right? Call one of them shits right now and see how many people are still alive. And then look at what they died from. We lost a guy two years ago. Cancer. We got one right now. He's got terminal. He got whenever his time is called cancer. Two or more that I know of drug overdoses. How many on suicide? How many sit every day before work, during work, after work, they gotta have a sip of alcohol. I was on that path. Now it just sits on the cabinet. <laughs> they gotta have that sip, man, because again, they gotta escape that reality. Something got to be done. Which, you know, we're just men now trying to maintain.
most of us. Most of us are doing well. Oh, let me rephrase. Some of us are doing well. Most of us are struggling. Some struggle financially. A lot struggle mentally. Physically, we all look all right. We look all right. But we're all fucked up. To the civilians. But we're not fucked up. We're just all a bunch of guys with various skill sets that we've perfected over time. And nobody on this side is fine-tuned enough to fucking understand us. That's why we can't hold a job when we come out the military because we see the faults in that bullshit. And we call it out and the boss don't like that because it's like, you're fucking telling me how to do my job? No, I'm actually telling you to floor it so you can fucking fix it, jackass. They can't handle that. Exactly. Never can. So, <laughs> I'm in it here, man, because, you know, we can talk forever. We can talk forever, forever, forever. And I want to thank you, man, for coming on here and sharing with us your experiences in the military the stuff that you're going on, you're dealing with now out the military. And all I can say, man, is keep the faith. Um, you can hit me up anytime. And Checkpoint 6 is always here. You can hit them up anytime. Anybody want to contact Checkpoint 6, you can. 1833 on your 6. And that's O-N-Y-O-U-R, the number six. Hey, Sean, man. Thanks, man. Appreciate you coming, brother. No problem, man. Hey. We gonna do something. Something gotta be done. All right? So that's all we, all the time we got on Checkpoint 6 today. Hope y'all enjoyed the podcast. Sean, sure. I hope you ain't uh, hurt too bad because, you know, it hurts when we talk about this stuff, but talking about it also helps us to move forward. You know what I'm saying? So I appreciate you, man. That's a lot of love. I definitely appreciate you.